G'day everyone and welcome to episode 8 of series 2 of the Wide Open Road podcast, a podcast where retired professional athletes share their stories about their transition to life after sport. What to do in life after sport? It's a question every sportsman and woman must address. When they address it, it's a very personal question and experience tells us that a successful transition can take anywhere between 5 to 10 years and an unsuccessful one can last a lifetime. Indeed, if you know of any professional athletes, please recommend them to listen to the Wide Open Road podcast. I'm confident they will get plenty out of the stories my guests share. Today's guest is 2008 Hawthorne Premiership player Clinton Young, a country boy recruited from North Ballarat under-18s who ended up having an 11-year career at the highest level with two powerhouse Melbourne clubs in Hawthorne and Collingwood. Clinton shares his journey from playing sport with his five brothers to being drawn to coaching after receiving a Masters in footy thanks to Alastair Clarkson, Chris Fagan, Nathan Buckley and plenty of others along the way. Please enjoy my conversation with Clinton Young. Clinton Young, it's great to see you, mate. Thanks so much for joining us on the Wide Open Road podcast. And, mate, we were talking earlier, and I'm really keen just for you to describe your journey through the junior ranks to get to the AFL system because you're heavily involved now in, in junior coaching and also coaching at the, uh, at the amateur and sort of sub-professional levels. I'm interested to understand your journey, but also how that journey may have changed for people who are wanting to aspire to be AFL footballers now. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ed. Um, yeah, so I guess in short, I grew up in a small country town in Victoria called Minyip. Um, grew up with five brothers, and all I can remember as a kid growing up was playing sport, playing footy, playing cricket. Um, so my journey to the AFL from there was... Uh, I had a full year of seniors when I was about 16 and then I had the opportunity to go play for the Rebels in Ballarat so I actually left home at 16 to go do U12 at St Pat's in Ballarat and had two years there which really I think was a perfect stepping stone for development for myself and really taught me a lot Uh, yeah as a late teenager how to become more independent and yeah, got, was lucky enough to eventually get rookie to Hawthorne. And, yeah, sort of a bit of a whirlwind, sort of one to two years where I went from playing seniors at Mini Matawa to then playing for Hawthorne um, in 2005. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a journey from a small country town. And if you, if, you, if you sort of reflect back on that, did you think that playing in the seniors at such a young age before you went to the Rebels and then going out and having to sort of head to Ballarat go to, I'm assuming, boarding school at St Pat's and sort of fending for yourself. Do you reckon that helped you in your journey into AFL footy? Because clearly AFL footy is a pretty brutal sport at times when it comes to the, the A, getting there, but then B, staying on lists and actually becoming a, a good player. Yeah, I think it's definitely not uncommon. There's a lot of kids uh, around that age or even younger now playing senior football when they're 14, 15, 16. So it's not uncommon at all in the country football. Um, so I definitely appreciated that opportunity when I was a bit younger to play senior football. Um, but then it sort of it was always another step above every step I took. So going to um, under-18s in Barat, there was a lot of talented – you're playing against the most talented footballers for that age around Victoria. Um, then, yeah, I guess play, I represent also a big country in my last year of under-18s, which was another step above. And then eventually – Getting drafted to Hawthorne, playing Box Hill Reserves, then playing Box Hill Seniors. It was always felt like a, a harder step along the way, then eventually to get there. Yeah, so it was a definitely was a whirlwind couple of years. And if we fast forward all the way to the end of 2015, you'd moved from Hawthorne to Collingwood in I think 2012. You've had a couple of seasons there, but injury interrupted. Didn't didn't probably play as many games as you may well have liked. When you actually made the decision to retire. And let's face it, you retired at around 29 years of age and retiring at the age of 29 gives you the best part of 40-odd years runway when it comes to the rest of your life. How did you feel when you made the decision and what was the emotion? Were you fearful? Were you, were you sort of scared of what's next or were you excited about the next part of your life? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess um, in that year, 2015, I sort of um, began that year knowing that year was very important for me. I was my third year at Collingwood and I didn't have a great end to 2014. I started 2015 with a few injuries and then before I knew it, I felt like in the middle of that year, I was, I, know, I felt like I was a bit of like a dead man walking and knowing that 
this was very likely to be my last year of football. Um, so um, got to the end of that year and I must admit, at the end of that year, I knew Collingwood didn't want me anymore and I had probably about a two-month period of thinking about trying to push ahead and trying to see if there was another club that were interested in me. Um, we didn't make the finals that year at Collingwood and it just meant that it was going to be a two-month wait to see if I could get um, potentially picked up again in a, in a draft or even a rookie draft. So there was a bit of a nervous wait and... I guess when I think back on it now, I was definitely physically possibly ready to go again. I actually finished off that year pretty well physically, but mentally I was ready to move on. And after a couple of years of frustration and um, injuries um, and not playing very well towards the end, I was I was mentally ready to move on. And I was engaged and I just moved out to Gisborne. And I guess my next chapter in my life was sort of already started to move on and um, then I was potentially waiting to try and get picked up but then a job opportunity came along and I sort of thought yeah, that's a perfect fit for me I'll accept that yes definitely time to retire and I was very actually when that happened I was satisfied because I was I knew I was ready to move on and what was the job opportunity that you went to and was that a conscious effort or was it more a case of looking back you you almost sort of fell into it because it sort of appeared on your on your radar after you'd actually finished. Yeah, I guess it, it fell into my arms because my manager Alex McDonald, he um, we were in constant communication about what could happen, how long it might take to see if there's any clubs that are interested, and then he caught wind of a, a new business starting up in Melbourne, which is a, a sports academy. It was called the Solomon Black um, Footy Academy, and I was. The job opportunity was to be the, the coach and the, I guess the mentor of all the students and the, and the footballers in Melbourne. So um, uh, I thought about it. I learned more about the business and I uh, thought, yeah, I'm, that's something I'm very interested in to try and mentor and coach um, uni students pretty much um, their football. So um, once I sort of found out more about it and knowing that it's always potentially going to be my job, yeah, I was ready to retire and accept that job. And if you if you sort of once again you you look back over the course of the last five or so years since you've since you've actually stopped playing professionally, what what's the thing that you miss the most about playing AFL footy? I mean, you you, you were lucky enough to be a member of the two thousand eight premiership team at Hawthorne. You ended ended up playing in a both a winning and a losing flag with that club before you moved to Collingwood. I mean, what are the things that you think about now and go? Mm, Gee, I do miss that. Even though you've you've clearly transitioned pretty successfully out of the game, I think there's different elements to think about. Um, I miss obviously the club environment. It's not just the playing group; it's the entire club environment of an of an AFL club. Um, the amount of people, a lot of the hard work that goes in, and the rewards you get from that. You miss those days of uh, whether it be the best wins away from home, and you have to fly home together as a group, or um, the best wins when you maybe weren't expected to win at the MCG and those are the moments, you know, you move on and now it's just time to reflect. But then also I think it's the enjoyment of the ride of the, my, my family. that I took them on a journey um, to support me and I loved knowing that to see them after games of footy and seeing how much they enjoy being a part of it as well. So there's different elements that you miss. Um but then life goes on and every every player eventually has to move on. And, yeah, my time was when I was 29 and I was satisfied that after my 11 years and where it came from, from country Victoria, um, yeah, the, 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 I could only have dreamt of doing something like the, the career I had. And, uh, yeah, I could, yeah as, as I said, as a kid, growing up in a small country town, I never thought I would have achieved or got to where I did. So, I mean, it's great to reflect on now. And if you think about the journey that you went on and, you know, you, you made mention of your family, obviously friends, a whole range of different people are, are really important as it, when it comes to getting to the level that you got to in, in, in football. What, what were the things that you learnt maybe from your family as you, as you moved through uh, your formative years into becoming an elite talent and then end up getting picked up? Were the things that they sort of talked to you about around... Um, 
you know, being the best person you can be and, and giving yourself the best opportunity at, at succeeding, knowing that every family is, you know, generally really supportive of their of their children and they only want the best for them. But at the same time, there's plenty of families who don't want their kids to, you know, to leave the house at, at the age of 16. There probably would have been a little bit of apprehension, not only from you, but maybe from your folks as well. Yeah, I guess growing up, um, being a family of six boys, we we're all very competitive. We all love the sport. <laughs> that wouldn't um, that's, that but, be an uh, understatement, I reckon. But we, um, I think, the values of um, being a good person and um, playing playing fair, all sports that we played, I think that was ingrained to us early on. And even though we were competitive brothers, that sort of flowed onto all of our sports and. Um, I think personally I was yeah, more of a quiet guy and when I was going through all these levels, stepping through, like, I don't think I changed as a person as such, but you learn to quickly realise what you need to work on to make the next stage and um, what, how you need to get become out of yourself a bit and more um, um, showing your voice more especially. Um, but I think the values that I have now, still now, like, they were ingrained into me before I got to the AFL for my for my family. So I'd like to think I didn't change much, but I think I changed to a level of needing to to make it. And uh, being a quieter guy, uh, I soon learnt playing under someone like Clarko that if I wasn't loud or trying to um, become more of a physical player, I, I know myself I was a, a, a wing outside player and I knew that playing under someone like Clark and he demanded certain um, expectations so there's definitely things I have to improve and change about myself but um, I think the values I have really uh, were ingrained to me at a young age It's I reckon there's a lot of commonality between people that grow up in families where there's lots of boys or lots of girls and they end up all competing against each other and I think the classic the tales are always of, the, of Ian, Greg and Trevor Chappell who, who used Greg always used to say that you know, the hardest cricket he ever played was in the backyard. It wasn't wasn't playing test cricket against the, the <laughs> yeah, West Indies or yeah. England. And and that's obviously clearly been a, a very helpful component of your life. And as you ended up in the AFL system, uh, what were the things that you were probably most concerned about? Because we're going to talk about transition. and But I'm always fascinated by when you get into the system, what are the things that you're most, I suppose, worried about or concerned about as a, as a young guy coming through, knowing that you've got guys like Shane Crawford and and obviously, you know, Franklin and, and Hodge and all those guys who by that stage were were pretty established players in that in that team. And you've got to break in, prove yourself, and then, and if you like, cement yourself in the side at the same time. Yeah, I guess entering the club as a rookie, you're immediately knowing that your time could be short-lived. Um and well, my first year was actually the same time as Buddy and Jordan Lewis and Jared Ruffhead. So we had several guys who had long careers uh, starting at the same time. Obviously, we had that stage of getting younger players into the club. So I was very fortunate to go to Hawthorne um, and being a club sort of on the rebuild and going from there. Um, I think I think it was just a matter of I think there was a bit of a wave of my first year being 05 till 08 when we won the grand final it was a um, you know really steep steep climb in that, in that four years for a lot of us young players and I think it maybe showed in 09 that uh, as a young group we didn't meet those expectations the next year but um, I think about myself and I think by by after winning a premiership I was 22 and I was still thinking all right there's still a long career ahead of me now. But then I was very – I was brought back to earth a bit the next year because I had a bad ankle injury in the 08 grand final. I started 09 and in my, in my first game of 09, I started to get sore groins. And then five rounds later, I stopped playing. I missed the entire year. And then I all of a sudden had a couple of surgeries, had a bad hip, so I had hip surgery and a groin surgery. And then I remember clearly there was a – couple of articles in the newspapers I, was, I wasn't really aware of this information but I was saying my career could be over and I was putting that in the media so that I was five years in the system thinking I was going to have a long career after a few years and then a bit of self-doubt came in about my about injuries and I guess that was a bit of a starting point of 
a few years of um, injuries. So I guess um, I had that wave of the yeah, first few years of playing a lot of footy and winning a grand final and thinking this is this is awesome. And then all of a sudden I started to get a few more injuries and realising yeah, the hardship that's involved and um, how this could be a short-lived journey. So I pushed through a few different times of injuries, but then I was definitely had no illusion that, yeah, injuries are happening now and who, who knows how long I could be in the system. And lots of people go through injuries and when you were on the sidelines and you were thinking about, you know, crikey, this, in, this career might not be as long as I anticipated it originally, what were you thinking with respect to life after after the game? You've, you've come in in 2005, tasted great success in 2008, then have had some challenges. Did those injury setbacks start to get you thinking about what you were going to do when you finished? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess as soon as you enter the system, there's lots of recommendations about studying or preparing for life after football immediately as soon as you enter the system. And a lot of players um, definitely commit their spare time to doing that. I think, I must admit, throughout my time, I did a lot of different, I'd say, little things to better myself or prepare myself. I did a couple of diplomas. I did a few work experiences. Um, I was starting to, you know, head towards you know, different avenues. But I guess I look back on it now and think that I didn't nail down or choose something which I, feel, I thought could set me up post-career. I was always doing little things, but I didn't do a degree of something or, um, yeah, something which was could make sure I'd have a job straight away after football. So when these injuries started to happen and I had done these few little things, there was always immediately a bit of doubt or when things weren't going well at all with injuries or form, all of a sudden that feeling hit of, all right, if this is my last year or second last year, what's that next year looking like? And that doubt or um, a bit of fear was, wasn't, was never a great feeling. And it wasn't until, yeah, my time was up after 11 years that finally hit home. I, it's actually real now. And there was a state, few weeks of um, feeling, yeah, what, what is next? And that's that's what every player at different stages may feel. And that's me after 11 years. Some players experience it after even longer or shorter careers. So, um, yeah, I think... I think, especially late in my career, I was, I was starting to obviously get later in the career to start realising, yep, yeah, it's happening soon. And that, that's when the fear starts getting bigger and bigger, I guess. And if you think about that fear of the unknown, I mean, I, I guess that it may well be a similar kind of emotion to when you actually first go into the system and you, you're probably not confident, you're, you're worried about getting a game and all those sorts of things. I'm interested in talking a little bit about managers and the role that they play in in counselling and helping you, a, you know, get into the system and 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 get to the point where you you're a regular player and so forth, which obviously they play a role. It's up to you at the end of the day to to perform. But what about when you're coming out of the system? Are they or the experience that you've had was your manager proactive in in either a helping you find opportunities or were they, were they was he in your ear about making sure that you've got yourself prepared for when. The, the, you know when the game actually is up for you yeah I guess there's no doubt every manager will be slightly different and my manager was always checking in what I was doing um, it's probably more the advice I was getting or uh, support through um, study or work experiences that I was doing I was probably more through the player development managers at the two clubs I played for um, so that was where I was getting more so of my support in that regard there's probably more or maybe other managers who have more of a first-hand um, uh, support, you know, on the player. But I think I was someone who sort of would update my manager with where things were at, and he'd sort of help me or give advice if I needed that needed it all. And then Alex definitely. So I think back with Alex, my manager, and he was incredible for me at the start of my career because I missed out on a draft, which I sort of maybe being told I might have been drafted and then I had a month of um, training at Melbourne and actually lived with Alex and his brother James um, who was a gun player at Melbourne at the time and that really helped me with my opportunity to then get rookie eventually so he was really supportive at a young age because 
Alex was just a pet boy and um, really supported me when maybe not a lot of other people or managers would have at that stage. And then at the end of my career, as I said, things were up in the air and he found out this job opportunity and he let me know about it and that was my avenue or pathway out of the game. So I look back on that and think that was the start and the end, which Alex was really important. And um, obviously there's a lot of conversations throughout with contracts and so on and uh, I guess checking in so yeah every manager will be slightly different but Alex was a real, really big support for me and the player development managers which you had at, at Hawthorne and Collingwood can you describe maybe some of the, the differences between the two or were they relatively similar with respect to the approaches that they had and the, the care and the time that they put into ensuring that the players were if you like having a bit of a balance off the field to, to sort of weigh up and ensure that they weren't getting completely tied down and just focused on footy, footy, footy the whole time? Yeah, I think throughout my time I had Jason Burton Hawthorne, who I couldn't speak more highly about. He was fantastic with all the players and had a great rapport with them and was really supportive about what pursuits they would want to go down. And throughout my time at Hawthorne, with eight years, I mean, I was throwing out different stuff every year, maybe what I wanted to pursue, and he was really supportive and helped me get different work experiences or going down the study path which what which I wanted to do so he was fantastic a great um, great person around Hawthorne and Christian Stagliano at um, Collingwood was there was there for three years and yeah obviously coming as, as a more experienced player he was helpful with a couple of different things that I did at the Pies so um, yeah so I think a lot of AFL clubs now have got really good support bases for the players and um yeah, I mean, the two guys I had were fantastic. So I think looking on that, not just the play development managers, but I think in general, it's up to the players to really um, be the ones to show initiatives, whether it be through their manager, through the play development manager, or the AFLPA, which we may touch on soon. Um, yeah, they're all networks there which are really supportive, so it's up to the player to really um, choose their path, I guess. Yeah, look, there's no doubt that everybody in this in these conversations that I've had, at the end of the day, it's up to them. They're the ones that have actually got yeah. to go out and do the work. One of the things which I'm really interested in is is the AFLPA and also, if you like, the evolution of the PA from when you joined the system to when you came out, so 11 years. And I think it's fair to say the AFL Players Association over the course of the last probably 15 years has continued to grow to become a major influence within the broader sport, obviously, you know, representing the most important component of the game, which is the players. Uh, I think COVID has had a real, really significant um, influence on just how important it is to have a combined and cohesive voice when it comes to doing some of the things that the players have had to do this year in order to get the season away, and that's been an amazing effort in itself. But can you can you get, describe maybe your sort of view on how the AFLPA maybe has evolved over the course of your time in the system? Yeah, I guess you're always told about the AFLPA, that they do club visits. Um, and I must admit, they were a resource which for a long time I didn't use or use enough and didn't reach out to. And I was um, not sure, I don't think it's lazy the right way, but I sort of go through my play development manager first through Hawthorne, Jason Burt, and yeah, so there were probably different options or opportunities I didn't source out, um, especially for a large part of my career. Um, but then towards the end, you start learning about a few different things, and um, yeah, I look back on it now and realise that um, I didn't uh, make use of it the best I could, and uh, I think how it's evolved is, it's hard for me to really answer, but I felt as if they were there um, frequently reminding us as players about the opportunities. But I think the last few years of my career, I think, became a bit more accessible through, I'm not sure if it was just through social media platforms or different avenues. You're learning more about things and getting emails about stories and stuff, whereas that wasn't happening at the start of my career. So, um, and looking at it now, like even post-career, I've used it more in my post-career than during my career. So that sums it up really. So, um, definitely, um, it's it's a great resource for the players, and once again, it's up to the players to really um, 
work out if they if it's resources they they would like and um, what pursuits they want. You mentioned at the start of our conversation that when you first got into the system, there was a there was plenty of people explaining about you know. I guess the the potential for a relatively short career that you need to be thinking about life after sport, even as you're coming in, as opposed to when you're coming out. What were some of the things that you can remember that you know the messaging that that was coming through from from different sources around making sure that you've you know you're thinking about the long term as opposed to just just the football side of things. And was there any conversations that you may have had during the course of your time at both Hawthorne and Collingwood where maybe some of the older players you know, spoke to and, and maybe even mentored some of the younger guys around making sure that they're prepared for life after sport? I think, yeah, you're definitely right. And whether it's just before you get drafted, even at a draft camp, there's talks about it. And you always hear stories of retiring players. I mean, you're constantly reminded as a player about it goes fast. You're always reminded that you appreciate it, enjoy it, um, and maybe, maybe that's a reality for some people just enjoy it and they don't pursue it. But, I mean, um, it's always reminders about, yep, yeah, it goes fast. Every Almost every retiring player speech that I've heard, it's about how it felt like yesterday they were, they were just starting. So I think um, it's it's always it's always there. And you get, I think, the reason I maybe could think of is you get so caught up in just the obviously there's a lot of pressure and stuff and about performing and then you, you you lose track of the fact that yeah he's got an end so you're reminded about it but at the same time the weird thing is it's like you get caught up in the next week's game or uh, the next training session and then you realise yeah it soon comes to an end that's the reality of it so I mean uh, I think it's I think the the way that Hawthorne did it towards the end of my time there and I think it's probably a good platform to when they won three flows in a row um, was that a really good system where the the players would be sort of grouped together um, at different I guess stages of their career so the younger players would be doing stuff together the middle aged players would be doing stuff together older players would be doing stuff together this is like maybe once a week and it was just about Obviously, young guys learning stuff and development and so on. But then the older guys really their focus is more about career, like their career after football and what could they be doing. And so that was throughout my last yeah couple of years at Hawthorne. They had a great system where they had that set up, which once again I was just reminding guys about developing themselves off field and preparing for that. So and I found that really valuable. Um, and I dare say most clubs, or especially Hawthorne, they they were still doing that now. And can you can you maybe describe some of the conversations you may have had with with that with that group of players around what each individual was thinking of doing? I mean, is that the sort of environment that they created where players were free and, and confident enough to speak to their to their peers about maybe what they might think they're wanting to do when they actually finish? Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And I think there was actually a group that were so this, I'm talking about 2011, 2012, when I was seven or eight years into the system. So I wasn't in, in the group that was the, I guess, the the real older group, but uh, I was in the group that were, um, I can't remember what it was called, maybe the core group that was just really about developing and not only in improving ourselves off on and off the field, but then, um, yeah, just making sure we were developing leadership and the club culture as well. But, um, yeah, we're definitely open about what – we're doing outside of, of the club and what our career path we were doing. And, um, yes, yeah, so those conversations were constant. So that was, I think, what I found, I look back on now, and enjoyed that time because it was all about sort of the group mentality, about guys who were the same age and what pursuits they were um, doing. So, And as I said, I was doing various things throughout my time but nothing really substantial. So, I mean, I was... I can't remember what I was doing in 2012, but at different stages I was doing, um, I wanted to do IT stuff, I wanted to do diploma in business, I wanted to do a diploma of management, I was doing some police force work. Uh, so there's various work opportunities I was doing at different stages throughout my career. So, um, yeah, it was. I really enjoyed that, that, that group mentality of guys at the same age. And if you think about those guys 
fast forward, you know, eight or nine years to where we are now, and I, we don't need to name names here, but have any of the guys that you played with at either Collingwood or Hawthorne who have transitioned out of the game in the next phase of their lives, have the things that, or the things that they're now doing, did, are there any sort of surprises there where you think, gee whiz, I didn't think that he'd end up doing that? Or And, and also have, other, have some maybe struggled more than others to actually move on from AFL footy and, and, and start to forge a career outside for the next, you know, who knows, 25, 30, 40 years of their lives? Yeah, I guess that's a difficult one because um, the constant uh, communication isn't there as, as much. So, I mean, what, sometimes when players leave, you, you keep tabs on guys, but you don't have that constant communication where guys are at. Um, only recently, we've um, there's a group chat that was started up of the 08 Premiership. Um, so, that's obviously 22 guys. But besides that, there's so many players that come and go each year. Um so you lose track of where guys are at. But I'll, I think back now about sort of that age group and that group around those last couple of years at Hawthorne and um, you see guys now in their footy journey still, whether they're coaching, um, assistant coaching or in the media, um, and you're not necessarily surprised that they've got there because I remember around that 11 and 12 stage, that was when Jordan Lewis started to do more football media stuff when at the time I was thinking that doesn't really suit you or I was a bit surprised then but now if you look at him obviously he's doing really well on Fox footy and he's got a great job there um, and the guys stand out who knows he's going to go down the coaching journey and um, obviously Stewie Jew when he, throughout his time the Hawks he stood out as someone who you definitely know could go down the path and look where he's now and obviously Sam Mitchell's um, waiting the wings of his opportunity soon because he's obviously got those qualities as well. So, um, yeah, different personalities. I, I think of Xavier Ellis. Xavier Ellis was a, always a larrikin type of guy and um, always up for a laugh. And now he's obviously got that gig and um, radio in Perth and obviously going really well over there. So I can name a few other guys, but there's a lot of guys um, who, yeah, if you think back on it now, I think, yeah, um, you know they were going down a certain path, and that's what they are now. It does tend to make sense looking back, as opposed to when you're probably sitting there and the, you know at the time. One thing which football clubs are brilliant at, especially big AFL, in fact any club, any footy club or any any sporting club for that matter, they've got a beautiful network around them of past players, of business people who are supporting the club and are supporting the people that are that are sort of going through the club at any particular point in time. Can you talk about maybe some of the the, maybe the mentors or the conversations that you may have had with either coterie members, directors, because a lot of these people, especially at the AFL level, are very influential people. They're successful in their own right. And if you show an interest in the things that they do, they'll, they'll reciprocate and, and actually can be very influential when it comes to helping an individual navigate a pathway that may end up leading to something when they do finish. Absolutely. And I think... Um I think back to my time at Colony the last couple of years when I was sort of um, obviously nearing the end and there was a couple of guys around the same age. I remember Jared Blair and myself, we actually went to a couple of business meetings that were sort of coterie um, group members of the Pies and obviously learned a lot from these really successful business guys um, and just learning different aspects of the business. Um, I think this was throughout our stage of doing a business course together and, yeah, so you learn... There's a lot of people who are within footy clubs who, whether, as you said, are coterie group members or past players, and they, they're really looking out for opportunities to help out current players. Um, the reality is it's not always it's not always there. Like it's, it's once again, it's up to the player to communicate what they want and who they want to speak to through the um, player development manager or whoever it may be to initiate that because... I'm sure there's more and more of those people who I mentioned who want to give more help, but ultimately have to play to maybe work out or communicate that through the right people to make these meetings happen. Otherwise, I don't. And I'll admit to the fact that for a long time that I was probably a bit lazy with that or or just being a quieter guy that and you know focused. I guess focusing on the footy aspect at times that those meetings don't happen otherwise. So um, you need that. The players get their these prods and 
um, it's, a, it's an initiative of the player to uh, make it happen. Yeah, I can remember working with the Western Bulldogs many, many moons ago, and it was always interesting to see younger players who were probably clearly focused very much on actually getting a game every week rather than worrying about whether you know when they're going to retire. And then as players continue into the system, and, and the one I've used as a great example is Simon Garlic. He ended up running the Western Bulldogs. I think he's now the CEO of, of, of uh, Fremantle over in WA. And he he met and formed a good relationship with the the CEO of our major the, the, the club's major sponsor at the time. And he ended up working there sort of worked his way through the ranks. And that was a that was just one example of a guy who clearly was proactive and wanted to get things moving post-career whilst he was still playing. If you think back to when you were playing, what do you think that you could have done that you didn't do when it came to preparing for life after sport? Um, I just think that what I look back on now and wish I did better was instead of... I know it's easy to say now, but I mean, I had different ideas of what I want, wanted to do. Um, I just wish I knuckled down and chose a certain path and committed to it. I know it's easy, it's easy to say um, that there's uncertainty there and there's different at different times. There's look, I had te- I had teammates that had it was pretty clear they were they were knuckling down. They were going to do like a teaching course. They were going to do this, and that was their spare time done for several years because I was chipping away at a, at a degree um, and although I had these different experiences um, with different things I was doing I, I, I always wish I um, had a clearer picture I know a lot of people don't have the, that clear picture and I think um, yeah I, I just wish I, I, last year I, I wish I had done a teaching degree because that's it's not only it would give me a great um, a career path with teaching, but then also really help me with my coaching, um, uh, what I'll, where I want to go with coaching. And ultimately, coaching is just teaching. And if, if you look at Clarko, and he's really big about um, that teaching and credentials, and there's a lot of coaches now who have got a teaching degree. So um, that's something which I wish I could go in a time machine and go back 15 years and knuckle down and do a teaching degree, but you can't do that. But, um, yeah, besides that, I mean, it's, yeah, you're in a footy bubble, you're focused on getting the job done and getting your body right. Um, that's the hardest thing really is you're focusing on making sure you're physically ready um, and mentally ready to then go and play, but then you um, soon realise, yeah, you're outside of the bubble. The bubble is a fascinating thing because depending, I guess, on, on the profile of the individual player, the bubble can probably feel a bit claustrophobic at times because there is so much pressure and focus from the media and supporters and everything else. If you think about, if you like, the journey that you've gone through and you talk about the fact that you, you, you sort of maybe regret that you didn't nail something that you wanted to do, what were some of the things that maybe you thought about or when you were actually playing, were you more focused on all of the things that a player needs to do in order to make sure that they, they get up for the next game. And I'm th- talking about the fact that there's kind of two camps. There's a there's a camp that says, you know, you've got to be 110% committed. The only thing that you should be doing is focusing on your football. You shouldn't be worrying about what's happening next because you've got to live in the moment. You need to train, you need to play, you need to recover, do all the things you can to get the best out of yourself. Then on the other side, you've got people like, and David Parkin's probably the best example, and, and listeners to this podcast, our regular listeners will probably get sick of me mentioning David, but he's been on the podcast and he was an advocate of making sure that there was, you had balance in your life outside of just the sport. I mean, what's your view on, you know, that's that sort of the two camps of the, you know, 100% committed versus having having balance? And, and were the coaches and the and the various people within the clubs that you've played with at the AFL level, were they supportive of that? Or, would, you know, which sort of side of the fence did they sort of sit on when it came to that sort of thing? I always felt as if both of the clubs I played for were really supportive of your outside pursuits. There's no doubt about that. Um, and wanting you to develop um, yourself as a person to make sure you're ready for life after football. So there's never any question about that. I think the reality, though, is throughout my probably first half of my career, there was a bit more power given to the club to really control the hours you were committing to the club. And um, so 
I think you'll find um, even a few years before I retired, but the AFL Players Association started to put um, limits on how much time you're spending at the club um, because uh, maybe some clubs are getting out of hand with um, early morning sessions and late afternoon sessions and I think that potentially might have impacted some people. I'm not saying it impacted me, but it might have impacted some people with their time or focus to then pursue something else or use that for something else. So um, there's always a day off, you know, that's, that's that's there to make sure that happens. And I think yeah, the reality is uh, there's times when uh, in season when you're um, – Obviously, it's a tough game, and there's tough games, and you might be really sore. And come the day off, um, it's sometimes I know when I was those times when I was studying, it was really difficult to then knuckle down to study on that day off. And that, there's, there may be some people who find that weird to think about, but when you um, have a few several uh, tough games of footy in a row, and it's really grinding, and you're physically physically exhausted all the time, and then you try and then um, knuckle down and study. It's um, I'm, I reckon some players would find that difficult, and there's some players who um, need that time just to relax and take their mind off stuff, and don't necessarily um, hit, the, hit, the, hit the books. Whereas there's some players who that's that's their sole, not their sole, but it's their real strong focus to make sure that happens. So um, every player is different. <laughs> that's a reality, and some players would need that time to to maybe relax a bit. Some players who are more committed to their future after football knuckle down and get it done. That's, a, that's actually a really great sort of description of it. One of the things which is interesting about professional sport is, is that everybody starts off in the sport that they choose because they love it and it's a passion and it's a hobby. And then your sort of era of AFL players really went from, I guess, you know, right into the, into the professional era. Did you ever ever think that your career, when you played, you actually were performing a job in the sense that, you know, because you mentioned that, you know, going to the club first thing in the morning for a session, you probably end up staying at the club all day and then having another session at the end of the day. So you're at a club for eight or nine or 10 hours over the course of any one day. Now, most people who aren't in that environment would think, what on earth can a footballer do for 10 hours? And then and you always talk talk to retired sports people, men and women, not just footballers, any sort of sport. And they think, you know, as as the, their careers progressed, there was more and more meetings. There was more and more time at the club. And they often wondered what on earth were they doing there? Can you describe, you know, was that sort of a part of your journey that maybe it went from being something you love to do that something that you had to do because it was your job? Um, I think towards the back end, half of my career, I sort of realised um, – yeah, there's, there's good and the bad moments. I mean, there's lots of ups and downs, and I can't explain that from my point of view. Four years in the system, I went a premiership, and, you know, as I said, I was quite a country kid, and, you know, all of a sudden I had the, my dream job, and I was playing footy. Were you quiet, um, were you quiet um, the night you won the premiership, or did the, did the quiet country kid sort of break out a bit after that? I'd still like to think I was pretty quiet. I, I don't <laughs> think I changed too much, um, but... Uh, yeah, obviously I had a big head for a while. Um, yeah, just, you just go and then you're on cloud nine for months afterwards, that. And, uh, yeah, so you, you go through that experience. And then I think for me, it didn't hit me until maybe my sixth or seventh year when I started realising. For me, I, once once again, I, I was never a, never a superstar player. I, I played my role on the wing. Um, I knew sort of what I had to do for the team. Um, and I remember a, a meeting, a team meeting we had, and roughly – it was after Gary Ablett went to the Gold Coast. Um, so it would have been maybe at the start of the 2011 preseason. And, that sounds right. Uh, and I remember as a group of Hawthorne players, we all split up into different groups and we spoke about free agency. Um, we spoke about um, what, do you re- what do you think about it or maybe not free agency, but just about guys with the, with the new clubs like the Gold Coast and the Giants coming in. I think it was the club's way of just getting the players to talk about it and stuff and speak about um, what could happen in the years to come with lots more, maybe more money coming into the game and players leaving and stuff. I remember it clear. I don't remember how the meeting unfolded, but I remember me sort of 
um, saying my opinion. So it's, and this is my pro, this is my source at the time, thinking that there was players talking about you know it's a business and stuff, and they were talking about um, you know you got to look after yourself and stuff. Whereas I my mentality at that time was still you know I love footy, you know, I love playing for this club, you know I'd, I'd rather play for nothing than leave. That, that was my mentality, and I, I said this, this is just a players meeting. That was my time, my mentality at the time. And then I think it wasn't until maybe the next year later when I sort of started seeing more players who I'd played a premiership with and others that, you know, all of a sudden their career got cut short. It started to hit home about the business part of it and how, um, yeah, it's not going to last forever. And, yeah, there's an element of making sure you make hay while the sun shines. And within a year and a half later, I would never have thought that I would be considering free agency and realising, all right, um, two years compared to three years, this money compared to that money, and um, what's your life after football look like? So I've gone from six or seven years of thinking, you know, this is a dream job, you know, I'm getting paid and we're, you know, we're going pretty well and stuff, and then all, all of a sudden I was realising, you know, I'm 26, I have to weigh up what my future looks like. So that's when it started to hit home when I was, yeah, around that 25, 26 mark. How did it make you feel if you consider you and look back on the journey that you had all the way through footy? Was it was it just a wake up call and it was just reality, or was it did it take you did it take you a bit to get your head around it? You mean moving to Collingwood? Well, m- moving to Collingwood, but also the, the, the sort of the more businessy side of of being an AFL fo- footballer, because a lot of people describe it from outside looking in that it's a meat market, that, you know. And you've just popped up on my phone that Ben Brown's uh, agreed to be traded from North Melbourne, for example, and. And yeah. these sorts of things, because what a year ago, Brent Brown kicked sixty goals, and there was no way in the world that North Melbourne lets him go. And then you, you fast forward twelve months, and here we are. And you know, you, you've experienced it. You've moved from one club to the other after being a premiership player. So it must actually be a a kind of just a weird sort of feeling. Well, it's, in some way, I guess I'm saying that first six or seven years, I was lucky, and we took. I remember getting drafted, and. Clarko speaking to us young players and I'm talking about Buddy, I'm talking about Ruffy, Jordan Lewis, all those young guys and saying it's a brutal industry. It's a brutal industry and before you know it, your time will be up and stuff. And um, he, was, he was talking about the whole industry, talking about coaching, playing, everything. And maybe, you know, I went through a journey of four years of going upwards and winning a premiership. A couple of years of just stagnating and, and then re, um, realising Oh, hang on, I'm 26 now. Um, I, and, yeah, throughout that time, I was, I was signing two-year contracts before that and, you know, not asking for a lot of money and uh, not expecting it, but I was just a just a role player and then realising, oh, hang on, now I've, I'm 26, I've just played in a second grand final, um, now I have to weigh up, all right, um, I'm uncontracted, uncontra- 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 I should say, and now I can't... Um, I need to consider what what's it look like for me. So um, that was the that was the moment when it really hit home. That moment, and you know, start, starting to think about um, the decision to realise uh, what was my life after f- football look like. So that was when it really hit home at that stage for me. Listeners, uh, Clinton's very modest because this role player was actually Hawthorne's most or leading possession getter in up to half time in the two thousand eight grand final before he. He got a bad ankle injury in the third quarter, so this role player actually was pretty handy and obviously he's pretty modest. I want to talk about your journey to coaching because you mentioned about the fact that you wish you'd done a teaching degree. You now you, you sort of fell into the coaching gig when the Simon Black Academy came knocking at your door. Tell me about your evolution as a coach because it's almost like you've you've got the perfect um, preparation for maybe going into into more sort of senior levels of coaching. You've you've been involved with young guys. You're you've coached Gisborne. You were appointed to be a I think the midfield coach at Williamstown, and obviously the VFA or sorry the VFL season was cancelled because of COVID. So w- tell me a little about your coaching journey and and maybe what 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 sort of drew you to it. Well, I guess just being part of the system that I was and I think especially when I mentioned the Hawthorne part with Clarko and the, the club that it was whilst I was there and um, the culture and so I mean I feel like I've got a Masters in football 
uh, or football coaching from just being there for several years, really. And um, I think I also learnt so much about football itself, the tactics, and then like you're just living and breathing it for so for so long. So you, le- you learn so much, but then personally, then the experience to go to Collingwood for three years and experiencing a different um, environment, different coaching group, um, probably more lows as a player, but just um, a different way of going about it. Um, and I, I think I learnt a lot um, of the two different coaching styles from Clarko and Bucks. And then from leaving and getting the job opportunity that I did and um, being at the Simon Black Academy for four years and coaching, um, you know, 17 to 21-year-olds with their football and mentoring them, I, I, I learned a different aspect of coaching and um, learned more about the individual and um, what they're going through away from, you know, st- well, study and footy at the academy because, um, yeah, everyone has different backgrounds and that was a re- really eye-opening experience for me there. Um, I moved out to Gisborne, as I said, in 2015 and um, I started assistant coach in Gisborne in 2017 while still playing and then I was playing coach uh, for 2018 and 19. So uh, the experience of coaching your own team is another level above, you know, um, it's, a, it's a new experience which I, I loved and um, it's not until you get that opportunity you realise the responsibilities of the coach and when, when you're a small country town and you're coaching a lot of, a lot of young guys at Gisborne and um, it's not just the coaching part, it's just all, all around the entire club that you need to do as the senior coach and uh, so that was a great experience for a couple of years and then um, obviously as you said the, the experience with Williamstown, although short-lived, obviously working under Andy Collins, who was my former Box Hill coach in 2005. So that was a great experience, um, and I'm looking forward to pursuing that further with Williamstown because they're a great club, and um, I'm looking forward to the opportunity. So, and now, as you said, I'm now starting my own business, which is um, it's a franchise. It's called Sports Star Academy. I'm running a Footy Star Academy out of Gisborne and the surrounding areas around Gisborne. Um, I'm coaching kids from 5 to 16 um, years of age with um, skill development and making sure right now that they're outside um, and enjoying playing and um, playing with friends and um, being active. So it's uh, it's been a journey of five years of going from not sure potential where I wanted to go down and now loving the coaching experience and, yeah, I've experienced the young kids, the uni students, um, the just under elite level with the VFL and the um, coach club at Gisborne. So, it's, yeah, it's been a great experience so far. I'm hoping to continue that. And if you think about the – talk about your academy for a second and, you've, you know, five- to 16-year-old kids – there must be a lot of kids that, especially the younger ones, who would look at you and, you know, premiership player, played in the system for 11-odd years, they'd almost be goggle-eyed. And then then as you get sort of maybe 12, 13, 14, 15, no doubt you will be seeing young guys and girls who are elite and m- maybe go down the may end up going down the similar path to you. What are the things that, you know, if they ask you questions, what are the – what are some of the things that they ask you and what are the answers to, to the questions that you give them around how do I get better, how do I get fitter, you know, what happens if I get drafted? I mean, what are those sorts of conversations because they, they must draw you back to when you were their age. Yeah, well, I guess so. this is a really new business. So I've literally, literally been going there for two to three months. So I'm still in the early stages of the business um, and the age group that I'm coaching between five to 16. Um, so... I can tell you now, not many of them know me as a player. So I'm after. <laughs> I've had I've had to show them a video just to say, yeah, I actually was a footballer. So they're not looking at at me um, in any uh, um, any inspirational uh, way that I was an AFL player. But I I do say that I, I was in the system. I did this, and now um, yeah. So I think I, I think the main message right now is about them with everything else, just making sure they're outside and active and enjoying mingling with friends because a lot of these kids have been deprived of sport and uh, whether they've been playing sport already or missing out on their footy seasons, um, I'm just making sure that they're outside and happy and um, getting social again because a lot of who, who have been homeschooling. Um, so I think those type of questions that you said will come down further, further down the track when um, I can really help them 
improve uh, with their individual skills and then progress to where they want to with their football and uh, next year when they can start playing again. We've got a couple more questions, Clinton, and then we'll wrap up because you've been very generous with your time. Let's talk about just quickly transferable skills. A lot of elite sports people perhaps don't necessarily appreciate all of the things that they learn over the course of a, a long career in a in a sporting and especially a team sporting environment. Can you talk about maybe some of the skills that that you maybe didn't realise that you possessed whilst you were going through the system? And you mentioned, you know, uh, Alistair Clarkson, Chris Fagan, two guys who are clearly amazingly great coaches and they're, they're ironically they're both teachers and they've they've obviously got great communication styles but maybe what were some of the things that you learnt about the, the skills that you could take outside of footy whilst you were in the system um, it's hard to say I, I guess the best thing is about the best thing about footy is it's a, it's a team sport and you're, uh, you're playing as one of 22 people um, it's all about going out there together and winning the game so you can improve individually um, but uh, it's about making sure you're making the team as, as good as it can be and I think what the thing that I've learnt the most that I look back upon both clubs and my experiences is just about making sure being genuine with each other um, and making sure as much as the coaches now, as I said, I've been going to try to go down this coaching path, but I think a lot of the responsibility needs to be put back on the players and they're the ones that are playing it and they need to be knowing what's going on and how to talk to each other and how to um, get the best out of each other. And I think the greatest things that I learnt or needed to adapt to was just about playing well as a team, um, accepting feedback. I think that's something I learnt pretty early on which although I was pretty quiet at times early on maybe I was a bit a bit um, I didn't necessarily respond respond well to feedback a bit early on but then you realise that these guys um, who are giving you feedback are just trying to help you so I mean there's lots of different people talking uh, positive or negative about leading teams and stuff like that but um, it's about the team coming together and getting the job done and I think the thing that I learnt is just try, staying true to yourself, being genuine, and and speaking up when you needed to in meetings. And I think that's probably one thing I'd like to hang my hat on throughout my time is that I wasn't the, the most spoken or uh, the loudest player, but when I did, I felt as if it was something which was worthwhile to say and uh, make make uh, make a point which would improve the team. Yeah, it's a great answer, and it's a it's amazing how much. Uh, businesses can get from elite sports people, whether it's from a performance mindset, um, sacrifice, teamwork, all of the things that businesses really do need when there's groups of people coming together to, you know, for, for a common goal. And I don't think it matters whether you're on the sporting field or in the boardroom. If you can bring that together and everyone's pushing in the same direction, great things can happen. Clinton, I mentioned to you this, the other, this to you the other day. I always ask my guests the same question at the end of each podcast, and that is, what would you tell your 20-year-old self if you knew then what you know now about your journey through footy and transitioning to life after sport? Um, I guess if I, if I was to go back to 20, I'd make sure I would uh, make sure I'd mentally prepare that there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows. Um, but make sure you stay true to yourself, which I like to think I did, but I mean... Make sure you um, get ready for what's next. And I think, as I said earlier, that um, maybe make sure, make a clear decision of what my career path was. So I look back on it now and I did various things, but I'd like to think that whichever area I would have liked to do then, pursue that further and stick to it with it longer because um, swapping and changing didn't necessarily set me up that well or gave me different experiences but it didn't um, have, have me with something substantial as soon as I finished so I was taking in, on board everything with the football and learning that and I think that's really helped me with my um, coaching and developing that way but off field I think I could have used my time a bit better at times and then also um, chosen 
uh, a field and stuck with it for longer. Clinton Young, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Enjoy the rest of the week and look forward to seeing you again soon, mate. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Ed. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Wide Open Road podcast. I'd love to know what you think, so please email me at edward underscore kemp at bigpond.com if you'd like to share your thoughts, suggestions or recommendations with me. And if you happen to know a retired professional athlete who might like to share their story, please contact me as I'd love to speak with them. And if you do like what you hear, please subscribe to the Wide Open Road podcast and share this podcast with your friends. And remember, our next episode will be released in two weeks' time. Until then, all the best. Thank you.